Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. This morning we have two scripture readings, one from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, the second from the Gospel of John. First from Isaiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a pitch dark land, light has dawned. You have made the nation great. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as those who divide plunder rejoice. As on the day of Midian, you've shattered the yoke that burdened them, the staff on their shoulders and the rod of their oppressor. Because every boot of the thundering warriors and every garment rolled in blood will be burned, fuel for the fire. A child is born to us. A son is given to us, and authority will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be vast authority and endless peace for David's throne and for his kingdom, establishing it and sustaining it with justice and righteousness now and forever. The zeal of the Lord of heavenly forces will do this. And from John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Everything came into being through the Word, and without the Word, nothing came into being. What came into being through the Word was life, and the life was the light for all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't extinguish the light. This is the word of God for the people of God. So now, God, would you come and speak to us uh, words of mystery, uh, miraculous words, words that changed history, word, a word that took on flesh and lived among us. Speak to our hearts, but more importantly today, speak to our souls and our spirits, Lord, a great truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you've probably picked up from the decorations and the music, today begins the holy church season of Advent. Advent, not necessarily Christmas. In spite of a billion Christmas ads on TV, in spite of an endless assortment of Christmas songs on the radio, in spite of the Hallmark Channel's 24-7 countdown to Christmas offerings, in the church, it's not Christmas yet. Now, you can go enjoy those things. There's no problem with all that. Uh, But we don't call this season Christmas. In fact, Christmas for us is almost a month away, not arriving until the 24th. This is Advent, the four Sundays prior to to Christmas. And Advent is intentionally a little different than Christmas. The word Advent means arrival. 
as in the arrival of someone special or the arrival of an especial event. We look forward to the arrival of Christmas morning. We look forward to the arrival of, of friends and family maybe who join us for the holiday. And so Advent means arrival, but it also implies things like waiting and longing and hoping and desiring and anticipating and patience, because that has to come with waiting sometime, or more often impatience, right? And preparation for what is to come. Advent in the church really is sort of a, a metaphor. It's, it's an imaginative stepping back in history to the time of the Old Testament before Jesus came, when there was expectation, there was hope that God would fulfill the promise of sending a Messiah to redeem the world. Advent is hope for God's promises. Wendy Wright says, Advent is a time in which we're invited to turn our attention to the fact, the fact, that we are recipients of a promise. And so Advent feels a little different than Christmas. The decorations are similar, of course, but Advent is intentionally a bit more shadowed, a bit more solemn, a bit more subdued, a bit more mysterious. It's a time for us to prepare for Christmas as a celebration, but also spiritually the rebirth of Christ in each of us. At Christmas, we celebrate, of course, the, the miraculous birth. There's the, the bright lights. There's the, the singing joy to the world, right? That's the spirit of Christmas, celebration of a birth. Advent is meant to anticipate. Advent is the waiting, the hoping, the longing for the promises of God to be fulfilled. And the truth is, I think, that for most of us in our personal lives, Advent isn't just one time a year. Advent isn't just restricted to the four Sundays before Christmas. Advent happens for us any time that we might be going through a time of uncertainty. You ever gone through a time of uncertainty? time of struggle, a time of doubt, a time of working it out, a time where we wait and pray for God to move. Some of us are in Advent right now, not because the church says so, but because life has put us in a time of waiting for God to show up and do something. Today we're going to explore this a little bit more deeply. Our theme for Advent and Christmas is closer. That's what we're talking about, is how through in Christ, God came closer to us. And as we'll see through as we journey through these four Sundays of Advent, we'll see how Jesus is the, the manifestation, the, the physical embodiment of God's desire to be with us, to be close to us. We call him, we just sang it, O come, O come, Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. That's the, that's the intent, that's the desire of God. But to make sense of this, for all of this idea of God coming close to us and Jesus to make any sense, I think we need to start in the beginning. And actually, I think we need to start before the beginning and even before there was a beginning. Does that make sense? If that didn't make sense, just hold on tight because it's going to make less sense in just a minute, right? One theological concept I think is going to be very important for us to understand is the idea of God as Trinity. God as Trinity. The idea of God as Trinity is that we have one God 
inseparable, undividable. Yet that one God is three persons, distinct and separate, each having a purpose within, but so connected that there is one God. We don't worship three gods. We worship one God. And the nature of God is eternal and unchanging. God didn't become a trinity at some point. God has always been a trinity. Thus, if God throughout eternity, before the creation of the world, through today, and and on through all time, is a trinity, that means the second person of the trinity, the Son, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, has also been eternal. There's never been a time in the existence of God that the Son, the second person of the trinity, didn't exist. You with me? Mm, Maybe. There's an ancient document called the Athanasian Creed that talks about the Trinity. It says, we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence, for the person of the Father is a distinct person. The person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit is still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. What quality the Father has, the Son has, the Holy Spirit has. The Father is uncreated, the Son is uncreated, the Holy Spirit is uncreated. And it goes on and on and on. You got this? You're with me? If this is at all confusing, right? this idea of Trinity is at all confusing, take comfort. Our founder, John Wesley, once said, bring me a worm that can comprehend a human, and then I will show you a human that can comprehend the triune God. So if if you're struggling with this, it's okay. Now I need to say the word Trinity doesn't appear in Scripture. It's not a Bible word. It's a theology word. It's a descriptive word. It's a word that theologians came up with to try to describe this reality of one God in three persons. It's a mystery, right? It's hard to wrap our heads around this, but we're going to try. But even from the beginning of Scripture, there are hints of God as Trinity. It says in Genesis 1, the Spirit of God moved over the water. Then God spoke, right? We'll say more about that in just a moment. God has always been a Trinity, the second person of the Trinity who took on human flesh as Jesus has always been the second person of the Trinity. Here's the point. Here's where this is going. Jesus, the baby born in a manger that we'll celebrate at Christmas, pre-existed that event as the Christ, as the second person of the Trinity. He came to us, took on flesh, lived among us, and then was resurrected, and in his resurrected form continues to exist as the Christ. Some theologians call this the cosmic Christ, Jesus the cosmic Christ. That means that he was existing and working long before creation began, continues to work and exist in creation, continued to work and exist in his human form, his human life, his human death and resurrection, and continues to exist today in his resurrected body. Richard Rohr says, the Christ, follow this, is a cosmic and metaphysical statement before it is a religious one. Jesus is a personal and historic statement. Most Christians have the second, but without the first, which has made both Jesus and Christianity far too small. What Rohr is saying there is when we say the words Jesus Christ, 
Jesus is referring to the human, right? The, the person that was born in a manger, lived a human life 2,000 years ago, died and was resurrected. But when we say Christ, we're talking about the eternal second person of the Trinity. And Jesus Christ is both. Eternal and temporal. Always. First and last. Alpha and omega. And with us. In human form. Right? This is bigger than the birth of a baby at Christmas. And yet that's pretty big in and of itself, isn't it? Right? The birth of Jesus is a big deal. This is even bigger still. Now, I want to try something out with you. I want to try a little experiment, right? Um, I want to talk for a minute about kind of some generalized Old Testament perceptions of who God is and where God exists. So on the count of three, I want you to use your finger. This is your pointer finger, right? On the count of three, I want everyone to point to where God lives, okay? You ready? Understand the concept. You're going to point for me. One, two, three. God is... I'm seeing a little of this. Uh, that, that, he tells you crazy. But uh, <laughs> over there, Dr. Phillips, <laughs> most everybody in the room did this, right? Because God is up. That's the Old Testament perception of God. And by the way, it continues to be our perception. If I ask, where is heaven? Where do I go find God? Most of them would say, well, he's up there. Where do we send our prayers? Up to heaven. Where do we look to God? We look up, right? Uh, we have this image all the time. Why do churches like ours have very tall steeples, right? It's a theological statement. It's pointing to heaven, and the person with the, t- the church with the tallest steeple knows how to point the best, right? right? There's a competition, right? God is up. This is the Old Testament image of God, that God is up there somewhere. And by the way, I don't know how to go up there, so God is often far and hard to reach. Where did Moses encounter God in the burning bush? Up on a mountain. Where did Moses go to get the Ten Commandments from God? Up on a mountain. Where did God speak to Elijah in a still small voice? Up on a mountain. Where did Jesus take the disciples to pray? Up on a mountain. When Jesus was resurrected and he ascended, where did he ascend to? Up in heaven. He went up, right? When the Holy Spirit came to us at Pentecost, where did it come from? up and came down, right? This is the spatial understanding that heaven is somewhere I can't reach and God is up there somewhere, that there is this distance, there is this separation. When In the Old Testament, when God wanted to communicate something, rather than coming God's self, God sent angels. I think God knew if God showed up, we'd be terrified, right? But all of this manifests a notion that God is distant, that God is apart, that God is inaccessible. You ever feel that? I mean, we can't see God, right? It's not easy to hear God's voice. It's possible, but it's not easy. But all of this leads us to think sometimes, well, God is out there somewhere, and I don't know how to get to God, right? That's the meaning of Jesus, that he came to be with us. And yet, I want to suggest that this Old Testament notion of God, and even our modern understanding of God as being up there somewhere, isn't entirely consistent with what Scripture says either, Genesis 1 and 2 describe a God that's intimately connected to God's creation. In Genesis 1, nothing comes into being that God doesn't speak into existence. God says, let there be, and what happens? There is, it just just happens. Genesis 2, 
God reaches God's hands down into the mud, forms the first human and gives it life by breathing God's breath into this clay figure. It becomes Adam. Then God performs the very first surgery, removing a rib and forming it into the first woman. We have Adam and Eve. It says in Genesis 3 that God took walks in the garden in the cool of the day. God's intent and will from the very beginning was to be, to be with us, to be in creation. In fact, we don't get any sense of distance in Scripture until after the fall. Now, I want you to follow this for a moment. Things are going to get a little bit kind of complicated in my argument here. If God is eternally a trinity. And if the second person of the trinity is the son who was present at creation, that means the baby born, Jesus, in a manger, was also present at creation. And we heard that in today's scripture reading from the Gospel of John. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Everything came into being through the Word. And without the Word, nothing came into being. The Word, the Word, capital W, Word. Who's the Word? It's Jesus. John is describing Jesus spiritually, metaphorically. It's another name for the second person of the Trinity. The Son, the Christ, Jesus, the Word. From the beginning, nothing was made that wasn't made through him. And then John goes further in verse 5 and says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't extinguish the light. That somehow the coming of this eternal Christ in human flesh is like a light breaking into the the darkness of this world, which also was said by the prophet Isaiah several hundred years before. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a pitch dark land, light has dawned. My very first semester of college, I took a philosophy class, not because I'm very philosophical, but it was one of the only classes I could get into. And one of the few things I remember about my college philosophy class is the basic if-then statement, right? If A, then B. If this is true, then this What follows it must also be true. Or if A is false, then B must be false. Anybody take a class like this, right? A is the proposition, right? I propose this, and if that's true, then this conclusion must also be true. So we're going to do an if-then for just a moment, right? If God is Trinity, and if the three persons of the Trinity are co-eternal, meaning they've always existed, never not existed, and if the second person of the Trinity is the Word, through whom all things were made. And if the second person of the Trinity, the Word, is Jesus born in Bethlehem, then, follow this, the second person of the Trinity, the cosmic Christ, has been involved in the universe, the world, creation, long before his birth. But including his birth, including his life, including his death and resurrection, and including this very moment. I want you to hear this. The point of all this, this theological kind of working our way through the Trinity, the point of all this, God has never been distant. God has never been absent. Our perception of God sometimes feels as though God is distant, but the nature of Christ is to dwell in and through the creation, 
Nothing came into being that wasn't made through the Word, right? The Word is part of all that God has made. In our very darkest days, and our very darkest nights, God is not absent. In our most sinful and broken state, God is not ever distant or absent. Even when the darkness seems overwhelmingly dark, there is always a light. There's always a light. There's always been a light. The Celtic author John Philip Newell says, We are made of the light that was in the beginning. We are made of the wisdom that fashioned the universe and its glory of interrelatedness. We are made of the love that longs for oneness. Light, wisdom, love, that's what we're made of. That means we're made of Christ. Colossians 3.11 says, Christ is all things and in all people. Before the very first things were brought into being and creation, Christ already was. Everything that exists bears his mark. And the light of Christ shines within all things, and it always has. Jesus came to be the blood, flesh, physical manifestation of what Christ always was and always will be. Pope Francis says, in the Christian understanding of the world, the destiny of all creation is bound up with the mystery of Christ. One person of the Trinity entered into the created cosmos, throwing in his lot with it, even to the cross. So today we talk about light, right? The light of Christ shining on us, the the light of Christ shining in the darkness. Of course, that light that we talk about, kind of symbolically, kind of metaphorically, was manifested in physical form the night of his birth. Remember, a great light shined over the fields of Bethlehem, over the shepherds, as the angels declared Jesus' birth. And there was the star in the sky that the the magi, the wise men, saw from, from far away, and they followed the light to find the newborn king. Those were physical lights. Those were were actual lights that appeared to the naked eye. They happened at a historic moment in history. They happened over a particular geographical location. But there is a light, an eternal light, that has never not existed and has always been visible to those who seek it, who have the spiritual eyes to see it. Amy Jill Levine writes, the star of Bethlehem is not about science. It's about the search for meaning. That's what the Magi were doing. They were searching for meaning. The shepherds in the field came to the manger looking for purpose and meaning and truth. Psalm 36, 9 says, within you is the spring of life. In your light, we see light. Friends, I want you to hear this very clearly today. For those of you who are in search of true light, the light of Christ has never been absent in this world. The light of Christ has always and will always shine in the darkness, in your darkness, and in my darkness. 
So I just ask you to reflect on that for a moment as we go into this Advent season. What is your darkness? We all have it. We all struggle. We all experience pain. We all experience doubt. We have troubles in our families, in our work, in our world. What's your darkness? What's your darkness? And the message of Advent is that even in the darkest darkness, there is a light of hope that shines. It already exists within you. And it always has. In the wise words of Howard Thurman, he says, however dark the moment of our days may be, the redemptive impulse of God is ever present in human life. However dark the moment of our days may be, the redemptive impulse of God is ever present in human life. Or maybe Thurman would allow us to just modify that just slightly. However the dark however dark the moment of your days may be, the redemptive impulse of God is ever present in your life and in mine. Let's pray. And Lord, there is darkness in this room. We carry it, some of us in our minds, and our hearts. Some of us have so many things we struggle with. Sometimes it's an inner turmoil. Sometimes it's an external turmoil. It's a pain that lingers. It's a shadow. It's a dark cloud. Pierce our darkness, O Christ. Remind us of your ever-abiding presence with us. And remind us that as we talk about you coming closer, that you never left us. You've never been far. That even in our darkest moments, you are with us. Would you reveal that to us? Not just remind us in in concepts, but would you reveal that in some way that brings us hope and strength and courage to continue on? Come, Emmanuel, be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.